0: Number two of the People's Show, it's uh, Dan Richo and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Be a part of the Jay's Care Celebrity Golf Classic through the online silent auction. Bid on round-trip flights for two, a Whistler getaway, and a Canucks VIP experience with Halford & Bruff. Visit jayscaregolf.ca for more details to make your bids. Auction closes July 27th with proceeds supporting Challenger Baseball BC. Again, that's Jay's Care Golf dot ca. I would
1: love a VIP experience with Hopper and Bruff.
0: Um, I I got to play golf with uh ha- Bruff last week. Yeah, I don't know if it was VIP experience, but well, as close as you can get. He's, he, he? He drives the golf cart well.
1: Oh, where'd yeah. you
0: go? It's always uh, it's, uh Shaughnessy. Oh, yeah, we got to uh <laughs> we got to play Shaughnessy ahead of the uh, Women's Canadian Open later right, this summer. It was right. media day. Uh, what a course, man. Honestly. It is, like, I love that, you know, the Canadian Women's Open is, is coming to play at Shaughnessy, and it's an incredible course. I've never played greens so incredibly fast in my entire life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are not built for this.
0: No, you. if I, like, I can't even come close to stopping the ball in that green, so it just gives you an extra appreciation for how good pros are to play those courses at such a high level. Uh, all right. We'll get more into uh, some other conversations, including uh, some thoughts on the Open Championship, which started earlier today. But uh big one tonight as Canada opens its World Cup campaign, 7.30 kickoff against Nigeria as it happens for Canada. The defending Olympic champs get their campaign going tonight. Let's bring in John Molinaro, contributor at Sportsnet and also TFC Republica. Uh, thanks for this, John. How are you?
2: Good, Dan. How are you doing?
0: Uh, Fantastic, John. It's, um, you know, this kind of, this World Cup, um, it it feels strange because here's Canada defending Olympic champions. And it feels like um, there is, well, there's not a lot of hype about this team going into this tournament as far as, you know, being a contender seems to tell us.
2: Yeah, I I, I would agree. I mean, um, but I think there's a reason for that. I think, uh, you know, with all due respect to them being the the Olympic champions, um, I just think there are better teams positioned to win this World Cup, whether it's the United States, whether it's Germany, Sweden, who I think are probably, and not enough people are talking about them, um, long-time bridesmaids. I think this could be the final year that they're going to finally break through. Spain, who, you know, their stock has risen exponentially over the last 10 to 15 years and England who are the reigning European champions and, you know, ranked number four in the world. So I appreciate that Canada is number seven in the world and I appreciate that they're Olympic champions, but um, it's a strong field and there's a lot of good teams in this. And I would humbly suggest that there are better teams than Canada that are in a better position to win it. So I think that's a large part of why maybe they're not getting the hype or respect that they feel they, they deserve.
1: So in the time since the Olympics, has this been Canada maybe not getting as much respect as as maybe they feel they deserve? Is this more about the other teams improving to a point where they're now past them? Or is this about Canada maybe taking a step back?
2: It's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think, you know, you have seen sort of some countries, you know, step up in a big way. Uh, You know, I mentioned England. They won the European Championship last year for the first time in their history. And I think, you know, they've really sort of grown a lot of people's estimation in the women's game. And quite rightly and Spain, um, you know, having sort of won a, at a big tournament, but, you know, it's a wonderfully gifted side with you know, some incredible uh, footballers who play at the very highest levels of Bar- with Barcelona and Real Madrid. So I think it's, it's part some countries coming along and sort of rising up the ladder a bit, but I also think it's a bit of Canada in terms of, I don't know. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen that much of an evolution from them since Tokyo. Do you know what I mean? They, they just seem to be sort of the same sort of team playing the same style without really sort of evolving tactically uh, or their playing style in any really significant way. There's been some small changes, but um, I don't know. They just seem to have remained somewhat static in, in my mind. So I think that's probably part of it as well.
0: There's uh, there's that feeling of, you know, one of the things that a lot of the players on the team have said in uh, you know, the, the wake of winning the Olympic gold is you know, we need to have our own league in order to keep up with how many other countries are making big gains on the women's front. And it sounds like from your estimation and, and your uh, your thoughts going into this World Cup, that's that's that might show out here in this uh, in this World Cup.
2: I think so. Yeah, I mean, you you look at you know, and I'll use the example of Spain again. It's a country that has invested a lot into its sort of domestic league over the last you know ten to fifteen years, and I think you know the national team has sort of seen the benefits of that because you've got you know wonderfully gifted players like Blutalis, who's you know the reigning Ballon d'Or winner. Um, you know, she's playing for for Barcelona, who are you know several times over, uh, well, twice, I believe, um, uh, UEFA Champions League winners, and you know you have you have so many of their players who are playing at the very highest levels, not just in Spain, which is again a domestic league that's really grown, but you know European football in the Champions League, like week after week. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of teams who have the same thing. Now Canada isn't it's not totally without sort of representation in that regard. I mean uh, Jesse Fleming and Kitty should Buchan and Buchanan play at Chelsea and Vanessa, Vanessa Gill plays in Lyon and. Um, uh Chloe Lacoste was most recently at Benfica, and now she's at Arsenal. So they all have, you, you know, some European experience. But uh, you look at sort of teams like Spain and England and Germany. These are teams teeming with players who are playing, you know, club football at the very highest level in Europe and, uh, you know, in their domestic leagues and, and, and in the UEFA for Champions League. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, it's, it's, there's no doubt that it's a bit of a, dis, uh, Canada's a, a bit of a disadvantage in that regard in some sense.
0: Uh, John Molinaro, our guest, uh, Women's World Cup has already begun. Australia and New Zealand getting wins on home turf. And then uh, Canada will begin their tournament tonight, 7.30 kickoff against Nigeria. For so long, Christine Sinclair has been uh, the name everybody knows, whether you're a casual fan or or a diehard Canada fan. Um, her role is quite changing as uh, you know she gets up there in age. Still has to have a big impact for this roster, but... How does Christine Sinclair impact for Canada these days?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you sort of alluded to it there, Dan. She's not the same goal-scoring threat that she used to be, right? I mean, she was once a prolific goal-scorer, and that's not to suggest that the goals have dried up, but um, she's not the same goal-scoring threat that she used to be. She's sort of mostly deployed as a false nine now, so she's sort of dropping back deeper and being more involved in, you know, the build-up of a play as opposed to playing further forward and being the main reference point in the ball sort of coming into her. Um, so, but I mean, she's, she's adapted to that role quite well. And, you know, I think having Sinclair sort of more involved in the, in the, in the buildup and sort of the the greater play of, of, of Canada isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I just think they need to sort of, I think there is still, there's still at times this sort of default, right. Where, we've got to get the ball to Christine and uh, I just think that's sometimes that hurts Canada. I think they, they've got to sort of be, they need more players who can be more brave, right. To feel that, you know, that they can take opposing defenders on and create something as opposed to uh, looking for, for Christine. And I think, you know, Canada has improved in that. I I don't think they're as reliant on Sinclair as as they once was, as they once were, but I do think at times they sort of do sort of fall back onto that as, as their default position. So, I mean, I'll be really interested to see how she performs in this. I mean, this is her sixth World Cup. You would think it's going to be her last, although you never know. <laughs> you don't rule it out. But uh, I'm really interested to see how how she performs in this sort of, you know, false nine role and how sort of the players around that adjust to that and whether they can, again, be take on that sort of bravery and take on plays on themselves and really try to make a difference uh, themselves.
1: So we talk about Sinclair's role changing. Is there a young player that you think is maybe primed to step up and take on more of a role at this tournament?
2: Um, I think Julia Grosso. Um, you know, I think we saw her, you know, glimpses of what she could do with the Tokyo Olympics. Of course, she was the one who scored, you know, the winning penalty against Sweden in the final. Um, she's coming off, you know, a pretty successful season with Juventus in Serie A. you know, one of the, one of the best teams in Italy. Um, and I think we've really seen, you know, her her game grow and mature since she's turned pro. I mean, she was at, you know, the University of Texas before joining Juventus, and she was still when she was at in Tokyo, she was still going to school. So, I think we've we've really seen her game develop and grow a little bit. And uh, I'm really, I think you know, this could potentially be someone. I think who has the potential to be a very important player for Canada going forward, much in the same way that Jesse Fleming has kind of stepped up over the last couple of years and really, you know, I think become the team's most important player on the, on, on the team much more so than Christine Sinclair. I think Grosso is, is not quite at that level, but I think this could be the beginning of the start of that sort of development and that evolution into her becoming, you know, a crucial player for Canada. So I'm, you know, I'm really expecting big things from her.
0: Classic Molinaro picking a Juventus player. (laughs) You like that, Dan? Of course to uh, Vancouver and Julia Grosso as well. So always appreciate that. And, and you know what? I think the midfield is is such a massive part for this team and, and its success. You know, they've really struggled to score and I think mm-hmm. they've got to be able to create a little bit more. And I, I know a lot of that maybe depends on Fleming's health. Um, Jesse, uh, I know Bev Priestman said today that uh, they've got a full squad available for the game, uh, or that may have been yesterday. But we know Jesse has been dealing with something. She didn't train in full or she was seen off to the side. It's... It, the midfield is so crucial for this team, John. They just don't create enough chances. We know they can defend, but what they're going to be able to create in midfield is going to determine how far they go in this tournament for me.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think the other thing is, is you know, I think th- this team will go as far as the defense can carry them, right? I mean, when you yeah. look back at Tokyo, I think, you know, that sort of gold medal run was one on the strength of the team's defensive, uh, you know, ability. It was because of Vanessa Gill and Kadisha Buchanan in the center of defense and Stephanie Labbe. Um, You know, when you look at it, I mean, they won I think tw- two of their games by penalty shootout in Tokyo where, where there was a few one nothings in there. They didn't really score all that much. They won in very close tight competitive games, um, you know, with their back line and, and the goalkeeper really doing kind of keeping them, uh, you know, sort of leading the way. So, I think it's going to be, you're quite right. I, th- I think it'll be sort of certainly, you know, the midfield is really important, but I, I would argue just given, you know, the teams, the scoring issues surrounding the team, I, I think, you know, the back line and, you know, Caelan Sheridan, who has been Stephanie Labay's long-time understudy, this is going to be essentially her coming out party at the World Cup. Um, I think, you know, the back line and, and the goalkeeping situation is going to be absolutely vital for, for Canada because I just don't see them scoring a lot of goals.
0: Yeah, and I I think they're going to set up uh, with a very defensive posture, especially as, uh, well, assuming they get through the the group stage, um, as they get into the latter stages. What makes that defense so strong? Is it just Khadisha Buchanan being such an incredible leader back there?
2: I think that's a big part of it. I think she's, uh, you know, uh, a really, uh, people sort of talk about her athleticism and sort of the physical presence that she brings and I, and I don't want to sort of dismiss that because those are vital attributes that she has but i just think she's a really smart player a really intelligent player she's someone who can really read the game well and anticipate anticipate danger before it happens and i mean you look at her i mean for, for, for the longest time it was her and shalina Zadorski who were the center back pairing and then vanessa jill sort of comes um and knocks zadorsky out as it is sort of the, start, the starting centre-back with Buchanan's partner at Tokyo. And ever since then, it's been those two in, in, in the centre-back pairing. And it was, it was as though, you know, nothing had changed. And I think that's a great tribute to Buchanan and the way her adaptability and just the way that she can play with anyone. Again, such a smart player, um, such a really, you know, on-field general and has really, I think, a very high IQ in terms of football. So I think that's a large part of it, and you know she's got a pretty solid sporting guest, whether it's Vanessa Gill or Shalima Zadorsky. We haven't even talked about Ashley Lawrence, who is one of the best fullbacks in the women's game. Alicia Chapman and Jade Riviere on the on the left hand side. So I think it's just genuine quality across you know that back four, no matter who's playing.
0: So it starts against uh, Nigeria tonight and uh, we have a somewhat recent uh, experience uh, playing Nigeria. It happened out here in Langford, uh, just out on the island, a 2-2 draw back in April 2022. Uh, what can we expect uh, for Canada tonight and how much of a test is this Nigerian side?
2: I think it's going to be a test. I don't think it's going to be a, you know, a walkover for Canada. It's certainly a winnable game for them, um, but... Yeah, I mean, Nigeria, a um, physical side, a quick side who likes to counterattack. And the other thing is they, they are very aggressive on, on, on the pressing side. I mean, they really, they really like to sort of pin their opponents high up uh, you know, in, the, in their end of the field and try to win the ball back and then create moments of danger in transition. So um, I think Bev had an interesting quote earlier this week about something about uh, managing the chaos. And uh, I think that's quite right. I mean, I just think the way that Nigeria plays, you know, very aggressive with their pressing game, um, you know, Canada is going to have to deal with that. They're going to have to play through that pressure and get to the other side. And if they can do that, then there's the potential of, you know, great space and great, um, you know, opportunities that they can exploit. But um, it's going to be an athletic contest, I think, in that regard. So, um, you know, really an endurance battle in some respects. So from a tactical perspective, it's going to be very interesting to watch, I think.
0: We know we know Australia's uh, you know I, I guess the favorite in the group. They start with a win over Ireland uh, earlier today. Um, it, it, does this group come down to um, you know the, the game against Ireland? How, how do you see Canada faring in this group?
2: I, I think it's going to come down to that third game between um, Australia and um, Canada uh, in Melbourne on the thirty first. I think that's going to decide Group uh, Group A. I appreciate that everyone is talking about Nigeria and, and Ireland and um, you know as as credible opponents, and they are, and I don't want to sort of minimize their their attributes, um, you know, Ireland making its World Cup debut. But at the end of the day, um, it's Canada and Australia. These are two top ten nations. So um, I think they're the clear favorites to to advance in this group. Uh, and I think it's going to come down to them. I think it's going to be, you know that final game between the Australians and the Canadians is essentially going to decide. You know who finishes first, which is really important because if you finish second, then you have a potential round of sixteen match with England, uh, you know the number four team in the world and the reigning European champions. And you know I would suggest that you don't want to play England that soon in the in the competition. You'd want to avoid them for as late as possible because I think they're one of the favorites. So yeah, I mean I, I think it's that third game for me is, is going to be you know really interesting because that's going to decide um, you know who will win the who will win the group.
0: J-Mo, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this.
2: You're welcome, Dan, anytime. Uh,
0: There is John Molinaro uh, working on covering the Women's World Cup at Sportsnet and uh, also the founder of TFC Republic. Just don't hold that against him. Uh, Some good stuff up at Sportsnet.ca if you want to get a quality preview of what's to come for Canada in their group, Group B, at the Women's World Cup. It starts tonight, 7.30 kickoff against... Nigeria I think there's I I you know I took a little bit of heat yesterday on the show from the Dunbar lumber text message inbox for um, giving some of my concerns about this Canadian side but they can't score and as much as you know you can defend do some good things on that side of the ball if you can't score how are you going to get far in a tournament you've got to be able to score at different points. In Canada, it is my biggest concern. Yes, their strength and defense will help them in this tournament, but you can't always rely on your defending. They need a Jordan Heidema to step up. They need a younger player to really be able to make some noise in this tournament just like they did with the upset in Tokyo and winning that gold medal. I mean, look, for a large part of people, though, it's just, you know, and I know this even from the Men's World Cup, uh, from a few months ago, a lot of people, when it comes to a world cup, you, you don't know anything about the team. You don't know anything about the players for sure. For the Canadian women, you know, Christine Sinclair, but you're just like, what Canada's playing in a world cup. Where's my next red t-shirt? Let's go. I want to, I want to cheer for somebody. That's me.
1: Yes. I'm not going to lie. That is me. Um, Yeah. And yeah, like listening to John there, it, it'll, I want to see how far they can go. Cause just as a casual viewer after the Olympic win. yeah. I'm like, hey, like, they they, they can do anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I know it's been different for them at the World Cup. I just, I I wonder how much that pushes them as well. Is he, you just won the last major tournament, and, and maybe that helps you? You have a bit of a winning culture. Mm-hmm. You know, Christine Sinclair. This might be her last World Cup. What does that do for the team as well? I don't know.
0: Her sixth World Cup, uh, an absolute legend, and uh, we'll see how Canada fares. Uh, But uh, I'll be turning it on, 7.30 tonight, and I'm thankful that the match is at 7.30. Perfect timing for the Pacific time zone. I don't think we'll be as lucky as uh, the tournament goes on with some of the other start times for their future matches. But there was breaking news uh, just uh, closing out. Uh, on uh, the soccer front, the Whitecaps with a big trade and not in a good way. So the Whitecaps performing pretty well uh, in the league so far this year, but have moved on from Julian Gressel. It became clear that Gressel was not going to re-sign here in Vancouver. Twenty nine years old arrived last year from D.C. United in a trade was an instant hit played really well bunch of assists really quality player has been a quality player in mls for a long time but basically just told the whitecaps i'm not resigning here so they decided instead of holding on to him as a pending free agent in a year where they are a very competitive team i might add they decided to move on and it sounds like they're not even getting a player in return it's just general allocation money so awesome everyone's favorite gam they get their their favorite player best guy on the roster gam
1: yeah when i see a trade and i see gam involved wow,
0: i get pumped <laughs> do you even know what gam is
1: general allocation money. that's yes you did just say it there it so is So that, that helps
0: um but the, i no, like that's just a problem for for mls that they're still doing these kinds of trades um but is that a
1: is that like a white caps specific thing as well like uh, would other teams have held on to him to
0: the end of the season if they were competitive? That's kind of what I'm wondering, right? It's, you're in a playoff spot. Things are going pretty well for the Whitecaps. Before Ryan Gald got on this tear, Julian Gressel was essentially their MVP for the first 10 or so matches of the season. So, at what point are you just like, we're keeping this guy because we feel like we have a chance to do some damage, and if all we're getting back in return is general allocation money... How is that going to help us? This feels like one of those things where the Whitecaps as a budget team essentially said we can't, because of the way we operate, we can't afford to lose Julian Gressel for free. And I get it. You know, that general allocation money is probably going to help them in the future get somebody else. But we don't know who that player is. And how many other times are the Whitecaps going to have as talented a roster as they do right now? So that would be my question mark. About This trade they do have some good young players. Maybe this means um, you know more opportunity for Ali Ahmed who just p- performed pretty well for Canada at the Gold Cup. But if you're a Whitecaps fan or if you were starting to get interested about the Whitecaps and they're standing in the MLS standings. Um, this is a major red flag having to move on from Julian Gressel at uh, a difficult point in the season. They'll start the their Leagues Cup campaign over the weekend which I'm sure many of you have no idea what it is, but they don't start playing MLS games, matches, until mid-August. For now, it's the League's Cup for the Vancouver Whitecaps who move on from Julian Gressel today in a trade with the Columbus crew. Coming up, we'll get back in on the hockey talk. It seems like things are heating up for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Eric Carlson. Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang have given the stamp of approval to Kyle Dubas to go and chase Eric Carlson. I think the bigger question is, should they? That's coming up next on The People's Show. People show in the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Stan Riccio and Josh Elliott Wolf. Um, I'm very jealous. Josh was just eating a uh, Uncrustable. Oh. Smuckers
1: Uncrustables.
3: It's, have uh, you
0: tried these things? Uh, well, I know Josh has tried them uh, very recently. Producer Eddie?
3: No, but I've only seen them on the commercials with Springer and Vladdy. <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. somehow George or Josh didn't have to sprint away to fight you off to
1: yes. make sure he didn't wow. share. I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Uh this is the first time I've ever purchased Uncrustables because you've
0: ever purchased. Had you had one before? Purchased had them? Hadn't ah. purchased them.
1: The the thought behind it was like, oh, you know what? This would be a good golf snack. Yes. So I just put it in the bag. Yes. Before the round, by the time I get out there, it'll be good. Yes. Especially because we do early morning ones. Yes. So, there's never
0: like anybody with the beverage card or anything like that. Yeah,
1: exactly. So that was the thought, but lately I've just been crushing them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're delightful. They're
1: so good. And it, it is it's, the
0: dumbest thing, yeah, it's but so also dumb. like the best thing.
1: Yeah. the The ratio of peanut butter to jam is perfect.
0: It's wonderful. It's so perfect. There's a little bit of peanut butter on each side of the the toast, the toast bread, and a little bit of jam in the middle. It's just a perfect marriage of peanut butter, peanut butter and jam.
3: And no crust. Slow down your pacing and do that review again.
0: Yes. Anyway. It was... <laughs> I, I, I think it's, like, incredible how simple it can be and how good it can be and how it's, like, taken the world by storm. All they did was make... A peanut butter and jelly sandwich, without crust. Without the crust on the toast bread. Stick it in a freezer. Smack a label on it. Smucker's Uncrustables. Fun name. And it's like the greatest thing.
1: The the sneaky good part about it is that the out because it's like yeah. compressed right so it, it, there's no spillage either. <laughs>
0: they just nailed like, every part of it. I think it was like six bucks for a pack of four. Oh yes.
1: it's way too expensive. <laughs> it is way too. Expensive.
0: How many? If you just bought peanut butter, jelly, and toast bread, how many sandwiches could you make? Much, you're probably more, much all, more than four. You're all in for like what ten bucks after you? Well, maybe a little bit more on the peanut butter and jelly. It's say like twelve bucks. You're we'll going to have parking. to
1: keep buying bread, though.
0: Yeah, that's but true. also
1: you're you're going to end up saving more money because of that. <laughs>
0: How many sandwiches could you make? But no, you gotta buy the boxed ones. And I don't know. Like I don't know if I could make a better version of the sandwich myself than the way the Uncrustables make. I
1: it. know I can't. I'm not. I'm never gonna get that ratio as good.
0: Now everybody listening in their car is going to buy these Uncrustables, and they're not even paying us for this ad right now. Try to get them on sale. Yep. Probably they probably sell them at Costco. Do they sell them at Costco?
3: I'm sure. Why wouldn't they?
0: Yeah. I think it's brilliant for, for parents as well. I'm not one, but I would imagine you just like throw it in the kid's lunch bag. And it's like, by the time they get to lunch, it's great. Thawed. There's yeah. part of your lunch. Wednesday nice November taken care of. Yep. 650-650 uh,
1: Dunbar-Lumber text line. Dan, it's just bread or toast, not toast bread. I was going to say, you kept <laughs> saying toast bread, and I, I didn't know what it Is that meant. weird?
0: Toast bread is weird?
1: What, what does toast bread mean? Do you just mean like bread that you use also like the, for toast like the wonder
0: bread or whatever
1: yeah, toast that's just, bread that's just bread but there's different can, kinds of bread you can toast any bread Yeah, that's like i would i would call wonder bread just white bread
0: okay fair i don't know i call I, it toast bread because you know sometimes you have a you have a calabrese bread you have olive bread you have like so many different kinds of bread
3: what bread do you not toast yeah you could. <laughs> toast that's what you're implying
0: you can toast any bread that's fair but i call that bread toast
1: I, I feel like every other bread has a name But if you told, if you just said bread to me I'm defaulting to like Wonder Bread White Bread
0: I don't know about They that. have an
1: 18 pack of Uncrustables at Costco That's okay. from Dana Nuez That's huge I gotta make a Costco run
0: What the hell is toast bread? People are I'm really telling mad you, at this man, nobody,
1: <laughs> I didn't want to say it I, I put two and two together eventually But then you kept doubling down on saying toast bread <laughs> Is your Ontario showing right now? it must be is this a did other is people this a soccer, say soccer baseball in Ontario? thing soccer baseball what are you guys doing over there so it is it
0: must be a soccer bra- baseball thing or maybe it's just an italian thing because if we want to describe bread and the wonder bread we would say toast bread because uh, in our household like toast bread was not sorry <laughs> the wonder bread was not our default bread, toast bread. we generally had like you wouldn't know, it be an
3: insult to bring that into the home Wonder bread?
0: Yeah, fairly. You know. We either had, like, you know, a nice panini or uh, maybe even a French baguette. I guess I... But generally, we had, like, guys, the well, calabrese bread, like hold the on. big circle bread.
1: You guys just had bread. The huts? hard crust and... Like, coming into the house?
0: Well, yeah. You, you buy fresh bread in the morning. Wow. You lived in a fairy tale.
1: <laughs> what is happening?
0: <laughs> Privileged life. It's not that wild. I don't know.
1: I didn't... I did. I never once had a big ad as a
0: kid. Here's the text. What Italian has Wonder Bread? See, there you go.
1: Yeah, okay. I I can I will say I can understand it as like an Italian thing, being like, hey, we talk about bread a lot more than non-Italians talk about bread. <laughs> but I, I had still just never heard toast bread.
0: Does he mean toasted bread? He must. I'm Italian. That's BS. Okay, so see, it's not even an Italian thing. This is just me talking about toast bread.
1: You could keep calling it that, though.
0: Uh, there is a... Uh, uh, they don't call it Nutella on the box, but it there is a Nutella version of the, the Uncrustables as well.
1: I I didn't know about that.
0: It's an also, like, even simpler. Like, there's not even a third ingredient that you have to deal with. It's just the Nutella instead of oh, peanut butter no peanut and jam. Butter? No, it's just oh. Nutella. I and don't know if I'm as into that. Also delicious. The, the ratio is fantastic.
1: If it was peanut butter, Nutella, I'd be all in. Just Nutella, not as in. <laughs>
0: Might as well call it poor man's bread.
1: I don't know about that. You can buy some really, really good toast bread.
0: Yes. I know because of the way I talk about Woodbridge on this show and around the station, people think Woodbridge is like this fairy tale. It's a middle Italy. Place, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but there are lots of like Italian bakeries like you would find at Bosa or Chaffee's. Uh, it's sprawled around Woodbridge. That maybe just it's just sell bread and espresso. So,
1: did other people in Woodbridge say this? Because we get this one from Adam from Bowen, West Coast Italian guy here. Not a West Coast thing, and not an Italian thing. <laughs> it's for Adam from Bowen.
0: Well, uh, the toast bread thing is definitely not an Ita- uh, a West Coast thing. You guys are really like all looking at me like I'm from another planet when I say toast bread. So maybe it's just a me thing. I don't know
3: just comes across as you're looking down at certain types of bread. Yeah. I'm above that, that one's bread. That toast. Yeah. <laughs> I would not put my best cheese on that bread.
0: Uh, over, under on how long this bread conversation is going to last. I mean, it's already gone about 10 minutes. Let's so see how much longer. Probably a little less longer than it already has would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere, our uh, fearless leader, Canberra, is very mad, and he knows that I'm probably going to get another angry letter from a listener.
1: Well, he can go out and get some toast bread. (laughs) Sit down with his toast bread and listen to the segment. Uh,
0: All right. So I mentioned it before the break, but Rob Rossi in The Athletic wrote today that uh, an update on Eric Carlson to the Penguins. And one of the interesting parts of this update is that Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang have given some kind of stamp of approval for Kyle Dubas to go out and try to get... Eric Carlson. Uh, Duvis has already been pretty open about it. He was asked, uh, I guess, in the wake of July 1st and all the signings that Pittsburgh made if he was interested. And he basically said, if a player like that is available, we want to be in that conversation. So kind of the standard line for a contending team looking to add a big piece to their roster. The thing about Eric Carlson, and I know I'm viewed as a bit of an Eric Carlson hater around these parts because I didn't think he should win the Norris. But the thing about Carlson is I don't know how he fits with the Penguins. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure I know how he fits with any contender. Like most contending teams have their top unit power play already figured out. Carlson may be a better option, but... Is he going to be better at five-on-five five, where he was just an even player? My feeling on Carlson, there's there's a little bit of like Russell Westbrook here where Carlson had a season where it was all about putting up stats to improve his reputation. Westbrook, when he did it in the triple W, year, beat Oscar Robinson's record, won the MVP, and at the same time, we all knew Russell Westbrook was nowhere near the best player in all the basketball this is kind of how I feel about Carlson it's like yeah he put up over a hundred points but I also know he's for me not near like the top five best defensemen in the league right now maybe maybe not even top 10 for me because I still have major questions about how he plays defensively and how that would even work on a team that's actually contending for a playoff spot and not the San Jose Sharks who are just like Having fun playing shinny for half the season.
1: Yeah, but he's still a defenseman that put up a hundred points.
0: Yes, like he's not putting up a hundred points on any contender in the league. I'm no, telling you that right that, now. Well,
1: that's fair, but still a point per game defenseman. Yes, conservatively even, that's a guy that's going to make a contending team better. That being said, I do agree that the Pittsburgh and Carol because it seems like it's down to Pittsburgh and Carolina. Mm-hmm. Neither of those make sense. <laughs> you have Letang. Yeah, if you're Pittsburgh, As and you're, maybe maybe you're like, hey, he's getting a bit older. We want to cut down on his minutes, but still, he's.
0: But is Carlson the guy that you want to do that with?
1: He is also older and gets paid a lot of money. Um, and then same in Carolina, you have Brent Burns. Yeah, and we saw how that worked. It's already it's already happened before. Carolina, look at look at the case study. Um, it it feels like it's it would be really difficult to find a team that does suit him. As well as a team that's just not very good at hockey. Yeah. Like the San Jose Sharks. You need a team almost, if if he's going to get traded to a contending team, you need a team that can just put him on the third pair or second pair and, and play a decent amount of minutes, but really just take every single offensive zone start. And I don't think any contending team is in desperate need of a guy like that.
0: It's gone as far as the Penguins have had the ability to talk to Carlson, according to Rob Rossi. It's gone as far as Chris Letang endorsing the deal and saying he would be willing to change his role on the top power play unit so Carlson could quarterback it. But what's Chris Letang's best use at this stage of his career?
1: I think he's been he's been pretty decent defensively though. He is Even much lately. better
0: defensively than Eric Carlson is. Yeah,
1: well, that's I'm much better defensively than Eric Carlson. Is. <laughs> that's
0: not true. No, now that's that's, not true. that's a little bit We're of an overcorrection it. on what I said.
1: Uh, but no, like yeah, you're, you're right. But
0: it's still I I still struggle seeing how this fits.
1: And it feels like there's a better allocation if you're the Penguins of not only money but the assets you're going to have to give up to get someone like Eric Carlson, right? And your Westbrook example is probably really good because it feels like Dubis is looking at it and he's like, oh, good player, bring him in and we'll just worry about how the fit works later. Yeah. And it just, even in basketball, that doesn't work very well, but in basketball, it works better than in hockey.
0: Just get as much talent and we'll figure out how it works afterwards. Yeah. I, you know, Pittsburgh would have to have, you know, they signed Ryan Graves, so they probably are thinking maybe Graves is going to be next to either Letang or Eric Carlson as the stay-at-home element on the other half of the defense pairing. There's been rumors Marcus Petterson is one of the guys wanted by San Jose. If so, why isn't this deal completed already if you're Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some other elements that are going to be involved. And the biggest thing that's probably needing to be involved is just how much San Jose is going to eat on the cap, right? Right now, Eric Carlson's worth, what, $11.5 million against the salary cap? There's no way Pittsburgh is taking Eric Carlson, or any team is taking Eric Carlson, for the next four years at $11.5 million per. The question is going to be, how much do teams, or does San Jose retain? And the thing for Pittsburgh, too, is they're already over the cap yes. the next season. So, yes.
1: you assuming you Trey Patterson you're now $2 million under the
0: cap. It's got to be a money in, money out kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And, and so not only are you – and maybe it's somebody like Mikhail Granlund who you're not incredibly high on. Yes.
0: What a trade made by Ron Hexel.
1: <laughs> One goal in 21 games. He was, he was trying his best out there. Maybe not.
3: How
0: do you um, get a second-round pick?
1: Anyways. Yeah. And the Canucks still can trade <laughs> Connor Garland or Brock Besser. Um so it like there's just so many things that go into it, and I just don't see again, in general, I don't see what team makes sense for Eric Carlson. But specifically when we're talking about the Penguins, I, I just don't really get it from their point of view.
3: And they gotta sign Jake Gensel in a year as making six. Yeah.
1: Right. So it, it, I just don't get it. <laughs>
0: Um, Plus you have Jeff Petrie. What are you doing? Yeah, they're going to like, this is the thing. Like San Jose is going to have to take a certain amount of these players back. One, maybe two of them in order to facilitate this deal. And that in theory should cost Pittsburgh even more. It's not like Pittsburgh is just like flush with kinds of prospects that they can give San Jose for eating all of this money. Like you're asking them to eat 25% and take a Jeff Petrie or a Michael Granlin or a Marcus Patterson. Like that's going to cost you. It should cost you a first-round pick just for them to eat one of those contracts. So I think this is a very difficult deal to complete, and I still wonder if Eric Carlson will be a member of the San Jose Sharks by the time we get to training camp in September because of it.
1: Also, this would be like the oldest right side of defense ever. <laughs> Chris Letang at 36, Jeff Petrie at 35, Eric Carlson at
0: 33. Where's Kimo Timonen when you need him, eh? <laughs> just really round out that trio. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting because Pittsburgh um I was looking through some of the Athletic's thoughts on who's had the best and worst off-seasons in the National Hockey League and they actually listed Pittsburgh as one of them. Now, one of the best. One of the best which is kind of surprising because I was a little bit underwhelmed at what Pittsburgh did. Now, I guess if you leave the contracts they doled out off to the sides and not worry about them, maybe then it makes sense, giving Ryan Graves all that money, Tristan Jari all that money. I mean, they had the cap space, so why not? But some of these... (laughs)
1: And they got Riley Smith as well.
0: Yeah, they got Riley Smith on on the cheap, which was at least from a trade acquisition. That was decent, but some of these projections are just over my head a little bit when it comes to these sorts of things. I, Pittsburgh has had one of the best off seasons in the league. I don't know. I don't see it. Detroit's had one of the best off seasons in the league. If you really like Alex DeBrinkett, if he gets back to form, maybe I can see that. Otherwise, I was a little bit underwhelmed with the amount of depth signings they made. But I guess, hey, they've got more strength in depth now. Who do we think has had the best offseason in the league? And when I went about thinking about this, I was just like, I don't know if anybody really had that strong of an offseason. There's been so little movement outside of some of the free agent signings, I can't really pick out one team that did anything that blew me away and said, wow, they are considerably better today than they were before July 1st.
1: Yeah, there isn't a team that made like a signature move. And maybe you can look at the Kings with Dubois, but they still had to give up pieces to get that.
0: They gave up three credible roster
1: players. Yeah, like three so really good roster players, So actually. it just feels like... Maybe it's not a lateral move, but it's close to a lateral move. Yeah. Um, the one I like keep coming back to that's kind of a popular pick would probably be the New Jersey Devils. But even then, like, you got Meyer during the season, but you were able to keep him, you were able to keep brat you brought in Tyler to Foley as well. I just I I think it's also the nature of the flat cap as as well right now is yeah. no team is able to go out there and make a big move like they were able to pre COVID yes and so it's just almost a lot of grading off seasons now and and deadlines and so on is like which team got slightly better without adding a bunch of money right and that kind of feels like where we're at right now
0: sometimes there is uh you know an idea of su- addition by subtraction and, and I can get that for some players you know I'm sure when we get to next offseason and you know there's a a write-up about the Canucks. It's going to be well. Tyler Myers is no longer a Vancouver Canucks, so they got better today. Like, there's going to be one of those takes out there. Yeah, I can already tell. But at the same time, okay, what are you replacing Tyler Myers' minutes with? <laughs> You're just going to throw somebody out there. Oh yeah, like yeah, this guy uh, out of the AHL. I mean, blank so and so can just fill those minutes no problem. Jet-wolf.
1: That right? Philip Johansson. I mean, theoretically one of those guys might be ready next season,
0: but you know, this this example is uh, in, in Edmonton, you know, they bring in Connor Brown. They lose Nick sad Kyler Yamamoto, Klim Cl- Koston. I think Oilers fans think Klim Koston played a decent role for them last year, but apparently addition by subtraction losing Klim Koston for the Edmonton Oilers. The team that I think just had the best offseason is mainly because they signed some really great contracts and I like the deal they made for Tyler Toffoli. The New Jersey Devils like Mm -hmm. getting Timo Meyer at less than nine million bucks seems like a win. Getting Jasper Bratt at the number that they got him for seems like a win. Like their internal cap structure is through the roof good, and it all really centered around getting in on Jack Hughes early, and that set them up. Especially after Jack Hughes just had his big season, like, well, everybody on the roster is like, I don't want to make too much more money than than Jack Hughes because I know he's the best player on the team.
1: The other the other team I would maybe throw out there as well is uh Carolina. You get Dmitri Orlov for two years. Yep, and uh, you also bring in uh, Michael Bunting, who I'm not like, super high on, but it's a guy that can help you. Um, but again, that's just like, okay, this is the team that did something. And didn't really screw themselves in the future. Yeah. It's it's a very low bar for best off seasons. It
0: it, it is. Uh, Best off season, I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, This text, my Hungarian girlfriend would say toast bread because she said translation in her language to English was toast bread first time she said it. I said, what else do you do with it? (laughs) It's just toast. Uh, So I'm not alone on the toast bread thing.
1: Yeah, but, like, you grew up here.
0: <laughs> this is true. But I guess I must have just grown up in a household that called it toast bread.
1: Yeah, that's fair. But again, I I legitimately never heard toast bread before.
3: But we didn't need to insert the word bread. We uh, do yeah, toast yeah. and toast, toast. bread.
1: <laughs> it's toast.
0: <laughs> Kyle in the Park of Sherwood. I'm just going to read all the texts that agree with me. I get toast bread. Some bread is designed for toasting. Think slices and soft. There's uh, Kyle in Sherwood Park
1: and it's still no you wouldn't say toast bread though you'd be like oh this bread is for toast like you would just be like i'm toasting this bread (laughs) there's legitimately no time i would ever say oh yeah grab the toast bread for me yes white bread do you want some toast bread do you want some toast bread
0: i i say toast bread i I don't know what else to say
1: guy hits a home run dan riccio is like break out the toast bread (laughs) and the mustard
0: that's what I call it. the bread that's shaped like that is toast bread. Okay. You're not going to convince me otherwise. It's Dan Riccio and Josh Elliott Wolf. You're listening to The People's Show.